0: This is the living word of God for us today. Monty. Good morning, fellowship. My name is Monty Spurgeon and I am the pastor of Student Ministries. And I'm so excited for the opportunity to teach this morning as we continue through the gospel of John. But before I do that, I think as we've been celebrating children up here, I wanna take a moment and share with you some of the things that God's been doing in student ministry. And so three weeks ago, we got to take all of our middle school students to a camp out of Barefoot Republic. And uh, it was an amazing weekend. It wasn't the most restful weekend, as you can imagine, uh, but we had such a good time. And throughout that weekend, uh, we talked about this idea for students that they need someone to rescue them, that they need a hero in their story. And so we kind of unpacked this truth of Jesus being the hero of our story. It was so fun to watch middle school students throughout the weekend begin to acknowledge and some for the very first time begin to see that they need Jesus in their life. This next week, we're taking all of our high school students out to a camp not too far from here. And throughout that weekend, we're gonna unpack the character of God. And as we see the character of God, that we begin to see that God is so intentional in the way that he pursues us and the way that he makes himself known. And so we're praying big for that week. (laughs) I heard a stat last week that 80% of Christians become a believer by the time of the age 18, and that 60% of those happen in a camp setting. And so we're praying that God would move at these camps and that students would experience life change. One last thing I wanna talk about is that this Wednesday night uh, for our student ministry, we're gonna be baptizing five students that are coming forward to take a next step in their faith journey. And so we're so proud of the work that God is doing. And I tell you that because I want to, one, invite you into it and to pray for us, but also to say thank you because there's no way that we could do these camps and the things that we do without your faithful support and your generosity. And so thank you guys for believing in us and praying for our students as we help them find life in Jesus. Before I get into the text this morning, I wanna share a quick story with you guys. And for a lot of us in marriage or in relationships, there tends to be a recurring conflict that comes up quite a bit, right? And that conflict, a lot of the times, the root of that conflict is that, it's that my way is right and your way is wrong, right? As I say that, you're already thinking about what that, that conflict is that you're thinking of. And so for Molly and I, one of those things that we tend to have this about, it comes down to this, which seems silly, but I love coffee. Right, I'm a coffee snob, and one of the things about me being a coffee snob is that I believe the only way to drink your coffee is through a coffee mug, and so I refuse to use anything else. I feel like it just changes the taste of the coffee. It has to be its purest form, in ceramic. Right, and so Molly will tell me all the time, like, "Babe, would you please just grab a travel mug?" And I'm like, "I don't need a travel mug. I'm fine." They're like, "What happens?" The problem is this, guys. I spill my coffee all the time. And anyone who knows me knows this. like, if we're driving to church every single morning, I'm going to spill my coffee on me. I'm going to spill it on Molly. It's going to go on the kids. It's going to go on somewhere like every single time. And this is even true at home. Like one of my favorite things to do in the morning is to wake up and to get a big cup of coffee and to grab my Bible and to sit down and read God's word. And that was really great until I had little kids. Right, and now it's like every time I'm holding my cup or it's somewhere over there and the kids jump on top of me and knock it over and splashes on the ground. Like in our den, in our living room, we have a permanent stain on the carpet and this rug because of the amount of times that my coffee has fallen on the ground. I'm embarrassed by it, but I'll tell you this, every time it happens, I, I act as if I'm surprised by it. <laughs> right, and I get mad at my kids. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why did you, it's like, I take it out on them and I respond so poorly to them and make them think it's their fault. And when I think about the coffee, when I think about this mug, I think about our lives. Because when it comes to life, we live such busy lives that our lives are overflowing with responsibilities. They're overflowing with priorities and things to do and places to be that our lives, that we just get so busy doing life. And that the truth is, is that when others bump into us, that we might be surprised what comes out of us that we might be embarrassed by what comes out of us. You see, as Jesus is teaching throughout the New Testament, one of the things he says a lot through the book of John that we've already studied and seen is that Jesus is asking this question, where are you searching to find life? Where are you looking for life? What are you looking to fill your cup? And so Rob, he did a fantastic job last week as he unpacked the John 5 passage as we studied it. And right, we saw there was this man who's been laying by this pool for many years and he's paralyzed and he is searching for life and he's searching to be healed because the rumor is, is that when this water springs up life, and if you make it into it, that you could be healed. And so Jesus comes up to this man and he asked the question: Do you want to be healed? And the man hearing Jesus say this believes that maybe Jesus will take me to the water so that I can experience life. And Jesus says, I'm not taking you to the water. I am the life. Pick up your bed and walk. (laughs) And so, in that moment, as we've read through this passage, Rob had asked the question Hey, what pools are you laying by right now looking to find life? Where are you searching for fulfillment? Where are you looking to be satisfied? If that's a hard question to answer, I know sometimes we need other questions to help us process more internally about what that means. And my question for you is this. When others bump into you, what is spilling out of you? When others encounter you, what's coming out of you? How are other people experiencing you right now? How's your spouse experiencing you this week? How are your children experiencing you, your neighbors, your coworkers? the strangers that you interact with, when those people in the busyness of life encounter you and bump up against you, what is spilling out of you? And I ask that question because I believe this, as we read our text this morning, this is what we begin to see. We see this, that wherever we look to find life will be the very thing that spills out of our life that wherever we're looking to find life, wherever we're looking to find fulfillment, that those very things are gonna be the things that are spilling out of your cup. And so this is what Jesus teaches the man, right? At the pool, he says, hey, life is not in the pools. And so we're confronted with this text, right? We have to tell ourselves that, that life is not in the temporary pleasures of life, that it's not in the pool, it's not in your status or your bank account, it's not in the title that you hold, it's not in your behavior, but life is in me, that life is in Jesus. And this is the message that for the last 14 weeks, as we study the gospel of John, we've seen this come up over and over again, that Jesus is saying, I am life, that life is only found in me, that I am the place that you're gonna find life. It's nowhere else. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to find life? Then find it in me. And it's this life-giving work that Jesus is doing throughout the scriptures. It's this life-giving work that he's doing in John chapter five, that gets Jesus in some trouble. And so in our text this morning, let's go back and look at verses 16 through 18. And it says this, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them and said, my father is working until now and I am working. And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so in this moment, the Jewish people, they're upset and they're they're frustrated because one, Jesus has healed the man on the Sabbath. As you read the scriptures, you begin to see the language that they're using. It's not a one-time occurrence. This is a continual pattern of Jesus doing these things on the Sabbath. So the Jewish people consider Jesus to be a Sabbath breaker, a law breaker. And that in itself is punished by death. But not only that, Jesus doesn't stop there that he begins to justify his response and his work of why he's working on the Sabbath by saying that my father is working and so am I, that he calls God his father and says, "I, my father is working and I must work also. And so to them, the Jewish people, this, this constitutes blasphemy. They're like, he, he's saying these things and he must die as you read the scriptures. But Jesus doesn't backpedal. He takes a step forward and says, let me explain to you who I am let me explain to you the reason I've come, that I've come to have, that you would have life. And so as we look at our text this morning, an outline for us to follow will look like this. In verses 19 through 23, we're gonna see that the son does what the father does. In verses 24, we're gonna see that the one who hears and believes has life. And in verses 25 through 29, we're gonna see that the son will raise the dead he will raise the dead. And so let's get into our text this morning. Verse 19. And so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father to raise the dead and give them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. And so as we begin to unpack this, I spent so many hours reading because I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what is he saying? Like, what does this mean? And it feels so complicated, but really what Jesus is trying to do here is to make it very simple. And the idea is this, that Jesus is saying that as a son watches his father, the son begins to learn to do the things that the father does. That as the son watches his father walk, that the son begins to imitate and learn how to walk. As the son learns to communicate, he does that by watching his father speak. That as he watches his father, he does what the father does. And Jesus is trying to help him understand this. He's trying to help him see that I'm only doing what my father is doing. And so what we see is that Jesus, he's offering this new way to think about theology. He's teaching and acting on behalf of the father. He's saying and doing what the father says. And he's creating this phrase that I am God, the son, that God is my father. I am God, the son, that I am only doing his work. And the Jewish people would have understood this because in their culture, they would have referred to themselves as sons and daughters of God. And so they get where he's coming from, but he's trying to help them understand that this is what I'm saying that I am God's son, that everything I do on this earth, that it comes from my father, the earthly son that you know in, in the scriptures in, in this time period, what happens is that they would take on their father's trade. And so as a Jewish son, that you would watch your dad and his work and his craft and whatever that might be. And most likely his father's father and his father's father's father over and over again. It's a skill and a craft that's being passed down from generation to generation. And he's talking to them because he's talking to a Jewish group of people that are living this out, that they're living into their father's trade. And he's saying, I am only doing the same thing that you're doing. And my father is God, and I'm watching at what God does, and I'm only doing what God does. That I am doing his work. And so NT Wright, he would describe it like this: NT Wright's a brilliant New Testament scholar, and he says this about verses 19 through 23 that it almost seems to be a parable and a story about how sons can be apprenticed to their fathers. Though, of course, the particular father and son here are God and Jesus, and Jesus is ex- explaining more fully how it is that Israel's God is working in a new way. And how he, Jesus, he's watching carefully and he's learning how it's being done so as to do it alongside the father. And as the father's teaching him, he's just watching, he's learning, and he's doing the father's work that my father is God and I'm doing what he's doing. And so as we begin to see this text, let's look at verse 20. It says, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing In greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. And so you have to remember, as Jesus is speaking, he's not speaking to a group of people who are all thrilled to hear the message that he's given. You're talking about a group of people who are in arms and saying, this guy must die. And he's saying, hey, listen, the reason that I've given this man life, the reason that he can walk, the reason that all these things are gonna be done and more to be done is so that you may marvel, so that you may see the works of the father and that you may take a step towards him in faith and trust that he is God. That you may marvel and know his work and what it's for. And so, as we see this relationship with the Father and the Son, that we see that it's rooted, it's anchored in intimacy and love that he has for his Father. And so the first point I want to make in our text this morning is this, that Jesus, he's so connected to the heart of the Father that he cannot help but to do the work of the Father. Jesus is saying, my heart is so aligned with his heart that everything I do, I just do it because the father has taught me how to do it. And so as we think about the idea of the cup, right? Jesus is saying, my life, it is so full of the father's life that there's nothing else I can do besides the father's life to come out of me, that it must come out of me. Which results in what he says in verse 17, right? My father is working and I am working. I don't care what you have to say. I must do my father's work because my life is so full of his life that life is gonna come out of me because it's anchored in love and intimacy and I see what he's doing and I'm gonna do what he's doing. And so what is that work that he's talking about? He's saying, I must do my father's work. What is the work he's doing? Let's look at verses 21 through 23. It says this in verse 21, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but he's given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. And so Jesus begins to explain this life-giving work that he's doing. And he breaks it down into these two terms he talks about that will go back and forth throughout the rest of this passage. And it's all about life and judgment. That my work is to bring life and to give judgment. My work is to take on the judgment. And so he begins to explain this to them. And so if you were to ask the Jewish people, hey, who is the one that has the power to judge? Who is the one that has the power to bring life? They would have said, it is God. God is the one that does that. God is the one that brings life. He is the one that judges. And now Jesus is claiming that he shares this work with his father. And in this moment, they begin to get frustrated. This is why they're so upset because they don't like what he's saying. that you're saying your work is similar to the father. How is that possible? And we see that the Father, he's putting everything in the Son's hands and he's given him authority over life and judgment. And it's these two activities that we see are at the heart of everything Jesus does in the gospel. Life and judgment, it's all about what he's doing in the gospel. This is what we see. Because what we know is this, is that the wrath of God is gonna be poured onto the Son, taking on our sin and our punishment, taking on all the things that we've done wrong, that he's gonna take it upon himself so that we can experience freedom, so that we can experience life. And he knows this is what's happening. He knows this is coming. And so as we look at point two of our text this morning, it's this that Jesus, his work is to bring life, that life in judgment, that's what it's about. It's all about bringing life. As we've studied throughout the gospels, as we studied throughout the gospel of John, it's about life and the work that the father has given him is to bring life, that I wanna provide something that you need right now that I can give you. And it's only gonna come through me. I want to give you life. So verse 23, this is the life giving work that he's given him and this is why he's given him this work. Verse 23 is that that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. And so Jesus is trying to explain this to these Jewish people because as they look at themselves, they're saying, hey, we are God's chosen people. And for them, what, what makes them so frustrated is that they're trying so hard, right? The Shema is this hero of Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one that we shall love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul, that there's no other God. And so they know this. Now they're hearing Jesus saying, well, I'm equal to God and I'm also God. And they're, they're, they're confused by this. and They're frustrated by this and they're refusing to accept the teachings of Jesus. And he's saying, listen, if you want to know my father, you must know me. if you want to experience my Father, you must experience me. That one cannot come to the Father without coming through me. That if you want life, then life is me. And so he talks about that, right? I am the way. I am the life. And so how do we get this life? How do we get this life that Jesus speaks of? Let's look at verse 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you that whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me, he has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so this phrase, he's, he's saying truly, truly, it means indeed, listen to the words that I have to say because what I'm gonna tell you right now is critical, it is eternal. You need this and you have to hear me that whoever believes in him who sent me, he will have eternal life and they are past from judgment. They're passed from death to life. That if you want to experience these things, then eternal life is in me. That this is how we experience eternal life. That we studied this a few weeks ago, right? In John three sixteen, we see a very similar pattern here. That all who believe in me, that they will have eternal life. So he's saying, anyone who believes in me, They don't have to wait for eternal life. They can enjoy the effects of it today that in the current state of your life, in the midst of your pain and your suffering and your loss and the affliction and all the things that you're walking through that you can experience eternal life today, that you can have that right now if you trust in him who sent me that you can have life. And so Jesus begins to develop the implications of this final statement that he talks about, that you don't have judgment, that he does not come in the judgment but he's passed from death to life. What does that mean? He's saying this, that those who have passed from death to life, anyone who believes in the God who sent Jesus will not be condemned. They will not stand on trial. They will not come into judgment. That they experience freedom in Christ right now because of the work of the son and what Jesus is gonna do for them. He knows it's coming. And he's saying, if you want to have life, it's through me because I am going to take on your sin. I'm going to take on your punishment and I'm going to give you freedom from judgment. And if you want that life, that life is found in me. And I can imagine as the people are hearing this and their response and their posture towards Jesus in this moment, the guys who are saying, hey, we want to kill you is the very guy who's now speaking to these men saying, I want to give you life. That you want to take my life, but I want to give you life. And that life comes through me by putting your faith and your trust in me. That God's justice doesn't threaten him. That, that the curse of the law is removed from him. It's removed from us. That when we experience life in Christ, this is the benefit of what we share. And so, point three, we see this that the wrath of God does not hang over us because it's been placed on the Son. The wrath of God does not hang over you or me because it's been placed on the Son, and praise God for that. That it is about Jesus. And He's looking at these people saying, Hey, if you want to find life, that I'm just doing what my Father sent me to do. And the life is through me, it's not in the pool, it's not in your possessions. It's not in the things that you pursue, but life is in me. And not only do I want to offer you life, I want to take the wrath of God and I want to put it on myself so that you can experience life. What compassion that Jesus is leading with right here, as he's talking to them, telling you, "This is what I have for you." And so, let's continue on looking at verses 25 through 29. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, there it is again, indeed, listen to what I have to say. Hear the words that are coming out of my mouth. An hour is coming and it's here now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who will hear will have life. For the Father has life in himself and he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. That we're almost seeing a repeat of what he's talked about earlier in the passage that that I've given my Son the possession of life and he will have life in himself. And he has given him the authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. That it belongs to his identity of who he is, that he will have this because it's who he is. He says, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who who are in tombs, they'll hear his voice and they'll come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus is telling them, hey, look, there's gonna come a day who all have put their faith and trust in me that they will be raised in life and they will experience life. And those who have not, those who have chosen to walk away or to not accept this truth are gonna be separated in judgment. But what we see and the most important thing to understand is that he is offering these people, he's offering these Jewish people life right now. He said, I wanna give you eternal life right now that I have it available for you. And so what we see in point number four of our text this morning is this, that his work, both future and current, is all about bringing life. That that is why he is here. His work is all about bringing life. And he wants his people to understand that even though they're in a disagreement with him, even though they don't like what he's saying and they're refusing to believe it, he is still offering himself with truth and with compassion and with grace and saying, I want to lay it down for you that I want to give myself to you because that's who I am and that's the Father's work and I must do the Father's work. I must give life. So I want to welcome the band back on stage as we begin to think and reflect on what the application is for us this morning. And as we do so, I want to go back and look at verse 24. It says this, truly." truly I say to you, he says to us, these are the words to us, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life, that he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so what we see here in this moment is that Jesus, he's pointing to the relationship that he has with his father. And he's looking at us and he's saying, hey, that relationship I have with my father I want to give that to you, that I want to give you life, that I want to invite you in to experience life. And so as he begins to work through this passage, we see this. And what he begins to invite us into is this. He's saying that I want to invite you into my work, that I want to invite you into this apprenticeship, and I want to be your teacher. And I wanna show you the ways and I wanna show you how the work is done so that as you experience life in me, as you begin to understand that life is not anything else besides me, that you would begin to give that life to others. That as we begin to experience and know the Father, that we begin to be so full of the Father's work that we cannot help but to do the work of the Father that this work is not found in ourself. It's not found in our abilities. I'm not asking you to go do more. I'm not asking you that you would make God happier by doing more godly things, but I'm saying as you find fullness and freedom in Christ, and as you experience the eternal life that he wants to offer you, as you experience that he's put this wrath on his son and he's taken it from you and he's put it on himself, that your life would be full of his life. And that as you experience life in Him, that you could not help but to spill that life onto others. That it would come out of you. And it can be so simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. This past Friday, I was headed home from work and I had ordered some pizza and I went into Papa John's to grab the pizza and I was in there and I said, hey, I'm here to pick up my pizza. And they're like, great, one second. One second. And I stood at the door just waiting and kind of chilling for a minute. And he's like, well, we're gonna find it, hold on. And it's like five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And I'm just still waiting, like, where is my pizza? <laughs> like, what is going on? And finally he comes back to me and he says, hey, we can't find it, man. We're gonna to have, to, to have to make you a new one. And I cannot tell you in that moment where I wanted to say, I demand a free pizza, I demand, like, I'm gonna show you that I deserve this and I am mad. And in that moment, as I've been reflecting and sitting in the scriptures, I'm reminded that it is my responsibility to give life. <laughs> that that's the life that we're giving as we encounter strangers, as we encounter people that when they experience us, that they would experience resurrection life, that it's not a hard thing. It's when we put our eyes and our focus on Jesus and his work for us that we cannot help, but to give life to others. And so as we accept the father's work, our work is to do his work. Our work is to bring life. So my question for you this morning is this, who is God inviting you to bring life to? Who's God inviting you to bring life to? For some of you, it might be that you need to experience life for yourself for the first time that you've chased the pools, you've chased the titles, you've chased the things that you thought were gonna satisfy you, that you thought were gonna fill your cup and it's not working. And for the first time, maybe you would say, you know what, I'm gonna try something else that I'm gonna trust in the work of the Father, that I'm gonna trust in this heart that Jesus has, as he's looking at these men who want to kill him. And he's saying, I wanna give you life that you would experience that life that you would see that Jesus is such a compassionate father, that he wants to wrap his arms around you and he wants to walk with you, that you could experience life in him. And so I don't know where God might be inviting you to experience life, but what I do know is this, is that when we experience the life of Jesus, that we cannot help but to give that life to others. And so as we worship this morning, I wanna invite you to think, who is God inviting you to bring life to? And that we would be faithful to follow Jesus and give others life.